A reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. This is the word of the Lord. As you are able, please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading is from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 15. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. There is a world of difference between being on the inside and being on the outside looking in. And I think for most of us, we can agree that we kind of like to be on the inside. We don't want to be one of the outsiders that are having to look in. I've used this illustration before, and if you've been through Discover Cornerstone Lutheran, our new discipleship class, you might have heard this. But when I first moved to Carmel 19 years ago and I would drive through Castleton, I envied the people that could go to Costco. I had never been a member of one of the membership buying clubs of, of Costco and I wanted to be one of those people. I had been, I'd visited it before with friends and every time I drove by there, there was a little bit of envy that I, I mean, I wanted to walk through those big aisles with the merchandise high, you know, piled up to the ceiling. I wanted to get the free samples of the lentil soup and the adult gummy bear vitamins, all of those good things. I wanted to be one of them. I want to get the cheap gas. I wanted to be able to buy tires at a discount. I wanted to be one of them, but I wasn't one of them. There was a clear distinction. I could not enjoy the benefits of being an insider. I was an outsider. The line was clear. Now, since then, I don't want to brag, but since then, I've, I've become a member of Costco. Costco even knows that there's a clear distinction. They've, they've upped their, their security. Have you noticed this? If you go to Costco, have you noticed this? Before you go to check out, they check your card to see if you, the picture matches on the card. Because Costco has realized that there are outsiders that are trying to get in. So it's it's, it's such, such a good deal that too many people have been sharing cards. So you can't do that anymore. Keep the outsiders out and the insiders in. 
Well, I tell you that story today about being an insider and an outsider and wanting to look in because I think this can sometimes be true in the life of the church. I think that we can fall into the same mindset and the mentality that says there's the inside group and there's the outside group and church is made up of the insiders and we are members of that group and we are distinguished from the rest of the world. There's a clear line. There are those that are on the inside and those that aren't. And isn't it nice to be on the inside group? In the gospel reading for today, when Jesus has this interaction with the Canaanite woman, we see this same kind of separation. There's a clear distinction, and it's harsh. It's so harsh that we might even say, wait a second, what's going on here? Did Jesus really say that? How can he treat this woman this way? Jesus, in this encounter with the Canaanite woman, is going to show us something about the house of God, about what it means to be an insider and what it means to be an outsider. This woman has all the marks of an outsider. She's a Canaanite. She's a Gentile. She's a woman. Her gender, her ethnicity, her religion, all of these put her on the extreme edge of the outside group. Now to the Jews, she would have personified sin. Everything about her is wrong. She was in the wrong group in every conceivable category. So much so that the Jewish rabbis of her day would have referred to her and her people as dogs. They were surely outsiders in relationship to the house of God, to the people of Israel. I actually just got back from Israel. Friday night, a group of 10 of us from Cornerstone got back, and we saw firsthand a distinction that's still going on there today, a distinction that's very clear. You can tell who belongs to which group, who are the insiders and who are the outsiders. You can tell by where they live, how they act, how they drive, what color car they drive, how well they maintain their neighborhoods, what they do on certain days, where they eat, how they talk, what their cemeteries look like, even by the type of roof that they have on their house. Each group has their insiders and outsiders. In our story today, this woman is clearly an outsider to Jesus and to his disciples. So why? Why does she want to be involved with this group that she has nothing to do with? Why does she go to Jesus? Well, we see that she's in a desperate situation. She has a daughter that's in need of help. She's possessed by a demon. Now, can you imagine this? Those of you that are parents, can you imagine what it would be like to have a child that's tormented, that can get no rest? What would you do? Where would you go? Where would you turn to see that your child could be made right, could be made well? She's desperate. She realizes her utter helplessness. She's tried everything else. She has nowhere else to go. All she has left is Jesus. 
She had obviously heard that there was this miracle worker was coming through town. Others in her hometown maybe had experienced firsthand the healings that Jesus could do. There was something different about him. He was able to do things that no one else could do. His words had power. When he spoke, things happened. His word changed things. She's so desperate that she risks shame and humiliation, rejection to go and talk to Jesus. I mean, after all, it was forbidden for an outsider, for a woman, for for a Gentile, let alone a Samaritan to approach a Jewish rabbi. She's clearly on the outside. And yet she yells to Jesus, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Son of David. That's insider speak. That's, that's something that a Jew would say. That's not a phrase that should be coming from a Gentile. But here she is, calling on the name of the Lord. She appeals to Jesus to do for her what, what he had done for others, to bring healing to her daughter. And of course, Jesus is going to do it, right? He's going to grant her her wish right away. No. Jesus is going to use this opportunity to teach what it means to be an insider or an outsider. He's going to teach what it means to be a member of God's house. Jesus doesn't answer the woman. He keeps on walking. He passes her by. And then she appeals to Jesus' disciples for help. And they too, who seem to be validated by the way Jesus treated her, they don't want to have anything to do with her. And they actually come to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you tell her to go away? Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now the disciples are probably thinking, okay, good. He agrees with us. We finally got one right. But Jesus is different. You see, his ways are not our ways. And his compassion knows no bounds. His grace is far deeper than even we can imagine. This woman, in her relentless pursuit of Jesus' mercy, runs ahead and cries to Jesus in her brokenness, Lord, help me. And this time Jesus responds. And his response seems completely out of place for Jesus. But probably for his disciples, it makes sense. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. What did Jesus just say? Did he call her a dog? As I said earlier, this is how the Jewish rabbis referred to the Canaanites. But in using this term, Jesus is going to provide a teaching opportunity. This is a teachable moment to demonstrate just how far the grace of God is willing to go for the outsider. Just how far the good shepherd will go to bring back his lost sheep. It's a grace that will elevate even dogs to the level of dearly loved children of God with an eternal inheritance. It's mercy that welcomes any, if not all, into God's family. At this point, there's a shift in the story. Her faith has been on display already with her persistence and her 
declaration that Jesus is the son of David. But her faith is further on display by her recognition of her own complete lack of worthiness to receive what Jesus has to offer. Dogs shouldn't get what's on the table, but they are quite happy to get the crumbs that fall to the ground. It's as if she understands that in the eyes of a holy and perfect and just and righteous God, that she's no better than a dog. It's a staggering display of her humility. Our 11-year-old golden doodle is a pretty well-trained dog, Getty. He's the best dog ever. We never feed him food from the table. And so he doesn't expect it. When it comes to be dinner time, he knows that he's to go and sit outside of our dining, our dining room in our entry area, and there he waits patiently until we say our Thanksgiving prayer at the end of the meal. And then he knows the meal's over, so he usually hops up and kind of wanders into the living room, winding his way through the dining room chairs to see what's fallen from the table. He's quite happy to lick up even the tiniest of crumbs that have made their way to the floor. He never complains. He knows that the food on the table is not for him, at least as long as we're not around. And at least we're not going to give him anything directly. He knows his place. This woman takes the same posture. She knows her place before a holy man of God, that she's not deserving of his mercy. And yet, who is? This is the kind of faith that's commended by Jesus over and over in the Gospels. Every time someone's faith is held up by Jesus, it's an outsider. It's someone who's not a part of the Jewish faith. You see, it's not the one that thinks they deserve God's love, the one who believes that somehow they have, that they have merited God's love, that Jesus holds up. Those are the ones that are usually sent away in shame. But it's the person who realizes their depravity, who knows that they've earned no merit on their own, and yet they simply cry out, Lord, save me. This is the kind of faith worked in a person. This is the faith that brings admission into the family of God. And it is this faith that makes the outsider an insider. Jesus did come to the lost sheep of Israel. He came to the people that had been given the promise that through them a light would come to the entire world. And it's by his fulfilling of that promise to the family of Israel that Jesus has opened wide the door to the house of God. See, it was because of Jesus that Isaiah the prophet in our Old Testament scripture reading could say that God would bring all people into his house, that it would be a place of prayer and praise for all nations. This is what God does. He gathers all into his house, even the dogs. You see, the disciples had a lot more to learn about Jesus than this woman did in our gospel reading. The teaching moment was not about instructing the woman about the family of God. It was a lesson for the disciples, for the ones who thought that they were already on the inside. And I think it's true for the church. 
that we are not the insiders that are called in mercy and compassion to welcome the outsiders. We are the outsiders who have been welcomed in by the mercy and compassion of our God into his house. You see, our faith should model that of the Canaanite woman, the faith that recognizes where we stand before a holy God and the depth and the mercy and the love that we've received. And then that changes how we deal with those people on the outside. Because they are not out there, they're actually right here. You see, I've put my trust elsewhere. I've gone to other gods in my life. See, I'm a dog that doesn't even deserve the crumbs from the Lord's table. But what does God give us? He gives us more than we can imagine. His boundless love and his grace covers over our sin. And so rich are the crumbs that come from his table that it's all that we need. His love and mercy pour over us with an unending water and he fills us with a bread of life that forever satisfies. We gather together weekly to receive God's blessings. We're in God's house again today to receive far more than crumbs. And when we experience the goodness of God in our lives, we want to tell others as well. We want to bring fellow outsiders into the house of God where there's no seating capacity. There's always room for more. When our travel group over in Israel had the chance to talk to a Jewish bookstore owner that was in the heart of Old Town Jerusalem, he believed that our group as well as every other group that had traveled to Israel and to Jerusalem, were the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that God would bring streams of people into his land to experience the goodness of God. And it made me think, and I think a lot of our other people on our trip, to think about the work of God today through his church in a little bit different way. You see, our Jewish friend might have a different understanding of, of how God works through the church and, and through the life of Jesus and the early church. But I think we can learn from his attitude toward the scriptures that these are the scriptures that we believe as well. And they're still active and alive today. God is still at work, just like he was in the Old Testament like he was in the life of Jesus, like he was in the life of the early church, because he's here. And his word is here. And his word still has power. His word changes things. His word has the power to heal. And it's open to all. It's open to even the outsider, the outsiders like you and me. Amen.